0: Brought to you by CGTN Europe. Hello and welcome to this week's Razor podcast. I'm Janice O'Mara. And I'm Emma Keeling. Coming up in this edition of Razor, Javed Abdul takes a look at a revolutionary new therapy that's changing the lives for dementia patients.
1: We know that the stroke patient when they're admitted uh, and after the first stroke, uh, get a depression. It's a perfect cohort to investigate uh, non-admitted uh, patients uh, after stroke.
2: And I look at new technology that could change the game for amputees.
3: It, it's just mind-blowing how much your hands do
0: that I didn't respect and I didn't appreciate. I don't think anyone does looks like razors healing the world today.
2: Oh, just another day in scientific paradise, Shini.
0: Every year there are around 1 million amputations globally. That's one every 30 seconds. But not everybody can afford a bionic limb or even a basic prosthetic. But one scientist wants to change all of that.
2: Yeah, I went to speak to a professor at Glasgow University about a new technology that could be revolutionary for amputees. It's a prosthetic arm powered by solar panels and also gives real tactile feedback, like a real limb. That sounds amazing. But how does it work? Is it expensive? What sorts of... Whoa, 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 whoa. The producer told me we weren't allowed to answer lots of questions in bulk. And, you know, you know me, I always follow the rules. So, you know, we'll get to everything in a minute. But first, I do want to introduce you to Corinne Hutton. She is amazing. Now, she had her hands and feet amputated after suffering acute pneumonia and sepsis. And she spoke about her challenges and how exciting this new tech can be.
3: Well, anything that uh, can improve prosthetics for hands, legs for that matter, but in this particular instance, hands, anything that could solve that touch and feel problem, anything that, that would alert you to, to mirror as close as possible the human hands and what they do. It
2: would be a game changer.
3: Absolutely. Um, yeah, It's just um, mind-blowing how much your hands do that I didn't respect and I didn't appreciate. I don't think anyone does until
0: they're not there. It's definitely clear that it's a pressing issue for people living with prostheses, but this technology is moving at breakneck speed. What's the bottleneck?
2: Well, I think if you want the, the really fantastic, you know, bionic prosthetic, it does come down to money. You know, state-of-the-art prosthesis can cost thousands of pounds, and the research and production can also be prohibitively expensive. So I spoke to one of the surgeons who did Corinne's amputation. This is Professor Andrew Hart, and he talked about some of the challenges involved in creating these prosthesis.
3: I think there's there's a few gaps. The, the first thing people always ask for is just a, a hand for cosmesis for appearance Um, and the technicians are just beautiful artists so they can make fabulously realistic hands but they don't move so just like I'm doing now, you know, you you look at somebody's hands as the movement and interaction and how it's working in the world, so um, the cosmetic hands are beautiful in a photograph but as soon as somebody starts moving because they don't have movement and action they don't look natural and so people tend to put those away and the more old-fashioned prosthetics uh, could be quite effective for certain tasks, even think simple things like the hook hands and clasp hands, they could let you do quite heavy work but they they don't look right and they don't let you do the final functions. Um, so really what people want to move beyond that is to get into motorised prosthetics or the bionic prosthetics um, and, and there's a range of companies around the world, including in Scotland, which do beautiful prostheses that have motors and batteries and. Increasing amounts of motor control, so they may read out from muscles in your arm or your chest.
0: There seems to be so many different layers and complexities to this technology, but I can kind of get the whole picture
2: yeah, now. Yeah, I think it's it's almost like <laughs> when I first went there, there are so many. As you're talking about these layers, it's so many. Com- it's a complex bit of engineering. Um, so he's trying to merge well, the Professor Ravinda Dahir, uh, who is, is the man behind this prosthetic, he's trying to merge two very complex areas of science here. Um, so what Professor Hart was saying, you know, the man behind this prosthetic, he does this so well, understanding how the brain talks to the body and then vice versa, um, it, because obviously these thing, two things are very different and, and maybe you don't understand that because when you're operating or trying to pick up a, a cup or something like that, you're just picking up a cup but to actually understand that on a minute level is, is quite mind-blowing, and it took a long time to explain to me. <laughs> but what's the next step? Well, Professor um, Deheer and his team uh, at Glasgow University, with input from people like Professor Hart, they've developed this you know, new solar-powered e-skin, and it powers the motors and the touch sensors, and so it could be life-changing for people like Corinne, but I do want to add in here, there's a lot of 3D printing involved, which means it's gonna be a lot cheaper than these bionic hands which means people in places like India uh, and Africa will actually be able to afford something like this.
0: Don't you just love it when technology helps technology?
4: So in the fingers, currently we, we have the capacitive sensors here, but uh, we have much better solution for the fingers, which uh, can have capacitive and temperature sensors all integrated into really? the fingers. Okay. So in this case, this the, the key point is you are generating energy.
2: And that energy So what's happening here is Dr. Ravinda is showing Corinne the solar-powered hand. And when I was there, you could see the light in her eyes because she's coming to grips. She was so shocked. She's coming to grips with what this could mean for her and people like her. I mean, the main issue for people with prosthetics is they don't have that, that tactile feedback. So, you know, even if you've got a bionic hand picking things up, you know, you don't know how hard to, to squeeze. So if she can have that kind of feedback, um, even if she's trying to pick up an egg, I mean, that would be mind blowing for her. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Thanks for showing me that.
1: Yeah.
3: If it was an egg, so would
2: it crush
1: it? If it was
3: an
4: egg? Well it, it wouldn't because you have the tech touch feedback also from the from the fingertips. So so, stop, so based on the, the amount of force you apply the motor will stop there's a closed loop yeah. system it works in that way so it can be that sensitive oh yes, yes. so okay, depending on different quality of sensors you may have you know range of sensitivity right. okay. we aim to achieve same sensitivity as humans
3: okay yes. Are we there
4: yet well uh, we are in some sense we are there in in other senses you know if you talk about the kind of n- normal hand I would say, no, we are not there. But in terms of of, uh, functionalities, some functionalities, we we are quite good.
3: That is mind-blowing, isn't it? Yes.
4: I mean, there are some functionalities which are not there in our skin. For example, energy generation. No. But in in that (laughs) sense, we we have better options.
3: Yeah. Even better. Yeah. It's superhuman, isn't it? Well, just human, we don't want to be human.
4: Well, that's that's actually the, the interesting aspect of any artificial system, that you can develop something which not just augments your capacity it can actually make it even um, even better in terms of that. yes
3: that's incredible that's yeah. it wouldn't it be you, great for our amputees to be not just
4: well you you must have seen the example of this uh, blade running thing uh, yeah. you know yeah i have blades that just actually uh, helps you be yes
0: could you be even faster even faster yeah super yeah. we're oh. working on that super there seems to be so much to work out. I mean, just the concept of trying to hold an egg in this prosthetic hand is so visual. But how far away are we from something like this becoming an everyday reality for people like Corinne?
2: Yeah, well, I think you're a bit like me. You go and see these incredible you know, developments in tech, and, and you're always, they always sort of seem to say the same thing. Five or ten years, we'll have it on the market. But I was really shocked when Professor Ravinda said to me, you know, we have a goal. I want this to be available on the market um, at the end of uh, 2020, or oh, in early wow. that so, soon? I know. I think his staff were a bit shocked.
0: <laughs> they were like,
2: "What? You yeah. didn't tell us that!" <laughs> but I guess that's the joy of of having something that you know made with three D printing, and you know we're seeing the world change with three D printing, aren't we? So if you've got that basic structure, and then you're able to print the electronics into it, or put sensors on it, and so the speed of developing something like that uh, is a lot faster.
0: Yeah, often it's about knowing the concept and that can be the time-consuming bit but if you've already established that then it's about just creating the technology. What was it like meeting Corinne because she sounds like a really level-headed grounded person. She is a
2: hoot she's from Glasgow and that accent is very very thick at times I had to (laughs) keep saying I'm sorry I'm sorry. (laughs) She's probably saying the same thing about you. (laughs) Exactly my Kiwi accent I certainly uh, confused her appearance but yeah she's incredible and she's now actually got a double hand transplant and she is um but hugely involved in the amputee community. So for her to sort of pass on what she saw with Professor Ravinda and sort of create that, that hope and excitement with the people, I think, she, yeah, she was really thrilled with what she saw in the lab.
0: People like her are so inspiring because they've gone through so much hardship, but yet they're using that as a way to advance technology. I find that incredible. Yeah,
2: she certainly, she can see the gaps. And so her sort of talking to Dr. Ravinda... Um, yeah, I think it was it was fantastic to watch them in the lab together. That was one of my better ideas I must say get Corinne into the lab I don't know who told me to do that the the scientists gods or the journalist gods, but it, it worked a treat
0: 3d printing is one of my absolute loves. It's basically this opportunity to Create a three-dimensional model and the way it works is that there's this powdered material. It could be titanium another sort of metal or some kind of plastic and just in the same way that a 2D printer works, it takes a molecule of that material and it fuses another molecule another molecule of that material together using lasers.
2: And it all happens in a box. Yeah. And it's very, very slow, but just incredible because it sort of goes layer by layer. It builds up the the whatever it is it's trying to build.
0: Yeah, I guess it's the the easiest way to think about it is to think of a two-dimensional printer that we all use. Um, a 2D printer will place a dot next to another dot and you can build up characters in two dimensions. 3D printer does the exact same thing but in three-dimensional space. So it's Basically, placing a bunch of dots together and building it up in three dimensions, fusing all of those printing ink dots together with lasers or heat.
2: And it squirts it out a little nozzle and go. It's a little bit. It's a little bit like squeezing out a tube of toothpaste. Uh, layer yeah, by layer. Isn't yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And what's incredible is that after you've three D printed something, you pull the three D printed object out of this dust and you kind of like brush it off. Mm. And so you can recover the unused 3D printing material and use it for another 3D print. And so it's just a very efficient way of creating objects. How does the charging work together with movement? Because that's quite incredible. That it's kind of almost self-sustaining. So you
2: mean, well, so you're
0: meaning like charging a motor or making a motor work, or? When we were listening to one of the, when I was listening to one of the clips, um, it seemed like. Um, it would self-power based on Corinne's movements. Is that true? No. So the, the the power is. I mean, she she
2: you know tells the hand what what to do. You know, I want to do this, and um and which is done with a, a sort of a set of movements within the stump of the hand on the end of the prosthetic, and then that tells the thing you know move this finger or then move these fingers to pick something up. So, but what's happening with the solar power and the, the supercapacitor You know how usually you would store energy in a battery where a super capacitor can discharge and recharge over and over and over again. So if it's constantly getting power from solar, then it's never-ending. So it just charges and discharges and charges and discharges. It's just so clever. Love it. Now, we all know that sunlight is important for vitamin D and getting a good tan, although we're not supposed to do that anymore, so please wear sunscreen. But it does feel good to be in the sunshine. Oh, so good. And it's also very important for our circadian rhythm, which is
0: basically our internal body clock. That's right. However, we also know that it can play a big role in people's mental health and also their personal happiness. Exactly. And
2: scientists have found out that something as simple as changing the type of lighting in, say, places like hospitals and care homes can have a profound influence on certain types of patients, like stroke victims, for example. Now, Javed Abdelmanem went to speak to Dr. Anders West about this revolutionary therapy in Copenhagen.
1: We know that the stroke patient... Uh, when they are admitted uh, and after the first stroke, uh, get a depression. One third of uh, of a stroke patients get a, a real clinical depression, Gosh. and not because of their paralyzed. Um, actually, it's a chemi- uh, chemistry um, change in the brain that they do that they get a depression, and they also get a huge degree of fatigue and anxiety, and of course. Um, decreased mobility, and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's a patient cohort which have a huge amount of um, uh, complication. And and when we look at the circadian rhythm, we can see uh, that the function, that the part the circadian rhythm regulate, it actually, a lot of the complication we see in, in stroke patient. So it's a perfect cohort to investigate non-admitted uh, uh, patient uh, after stroke. Ah, so you, have
4: them, you have them here for yeah. a while. So I have them in
1: my, <laughs> <laughs> my hands for a while, they, probably a month um, in average. Um, and they don't have the possibility to go outside. They only get uh, light through the windows because they're um, uh, mobilized in the bed only. Mm. Um, so we, we did a study to, to actually um, look at the circadian rhythm And actually, we know now that the blue light spectrum that regulate, probably (laughs) some research is also, we know that activity and food intake also regulate the circadian rhythm. So we, we want to see if we can change the circadian rhythm and reduce the complication. We did that with installing circadian light in the entire unit.
0: So what does a circadian lighting system look like and how exactly does it work? I probably briefly better say, you know, because a lot of people might say, I don't know what a circadian
2: rhythm is. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much certain processes in the body are triggered by, you know, light. Natural light, so whether it's bright light of midday or you know the amber light in the morning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So what these lots of little LED lights in this sort of Lumiere, they're mimicking the 24-hour day. So it's a slow fade from more amber hue in the morning to a bluish white light at midday, and then they fade to amber again in the evening. And the spectrum matches the spectrum we see with our eyes throughout the day so it stimulates a part of the brain that controls a lot of our internal processes whereas you know artificial light it's one tone it's one spectrum it's one color all day and so it's not triggering those those processes to to tell us to rest or to sleep
0: or to be awake did you have a go on it like could you actually feel the difference of the different types of light
2: no when we were uh, we went to a, a one of the rest homes there and we were standing there and i was like it's getting darker because we were in there in the evening and of course it's on a slow, slow fade it wasn't getting darker as such but the the colour tone was changing from sort of quite bright, and it was slowly getting a, a sort of a more amber tone to it. But, I mean, from what I, I spoke to one of the staff members, and, you know, I said, how long does it take to sort of adjust to this? And he said, you know, it took five months to notice a difference. Oh, wow. So I think, you know, our bodies are set to this fake, you know, artificial light. Mm-hmm. So I think it does take a while for the body to, to adapt.
0: It's brilliant for people that work underground or like my dark matter detector scientists who are two kilometers underground. They need these lights. Yeah, they do. But did you actually feel yourself any kind of effect? No,
2: no, I just I, It was interesting, though, my eyes started, you know, playing havoc because, you know, the, the, the change in tone. It, mm. it, is quite, it is quite different, and then they hit a couple of buttons, and they've got a light they call a booster, so it can give you two hours of a big boost and it's sort of a, a more bluish tone and it gives you lots of energy. So in the rest home, that was brilliant. So if they're noticing the residents are getting a little bit sluggish, boom, hit the light and off they go. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> so you didn't feel like when you were filming this story that you had this burst of energy?
2: Or anything? No, they didn't. They should have hit the booster while I was there because yeah. we just got off the plane and we had to drive all this way. I needed a boost. I should have stood under the lights and said, hit me. <laughs> So basically, what they they call their, this light a luminaire, and it's it's pretty much a container, and it has all these little LED
0: lights. That's the that's the French word for light, isn't it? I think that's lumiere. But
2: my French is really rusty. But, okay. <laughs> but anyway, so the technology behind this is really interesting. And Javid spoke to Torben Hansen from ChromaViso, who helped develop this luminaire.
1: Torben, so these are the lights that I've seen. I mean, what are the mechanics of them? Yes, that's a luminaire similar to what we saw at the... So intensity. what
2: Torben is showing us is actually a big white bowl that almost looks like a basin. And it's got all these little twinkling LED uh, lights in there. That, that They look like tiny little bits of Lego, really.
1: You know, the, the total light source as such. There's quite a lot going on here, so is it costly? Well, it is a quality system and it is a very powerful luminaire, so obviously it's not the cheapest. So the benefits for staff and patients economically actually outweigh the, the cost of putting this in? Quite fast, yes, quite fast. So it's, it's just within a year in some cases that wow. the, the return is, is made.
0: Gosh, it sounds a lot more complicated and intelligent than just a bunch of lights. Yeah,
2: it, I mean, it's so simple but just really, really clever. I mean, you know, with all that artificial light we live under, you know, we've moved away from from having that natural light of being, you know, woken up by light in the morning. I mean, we all wake up in the dark and we switch the light on and it's like, oh, first thing in the morning. I'm sure you've been through that. But, yeah, it's just, you know, and having that 24-hour fade and all these different... But they've noticed with, you know, not only the rest home patients but also the stroke patients, you know, they're they're less depressive, they're less uh, anxious, and and they're, they're feeling, you know, more energized. I mean one of the staff members at the elderly rest home said to me I used to get headaches because I used to do all these night shifts and he says I don't get the headaches. Anymore.
0: Wow, it sounds like a brilliant piece of technology for people that really sort of, you know, work crazy hours in the dark don't get much sun. I mean, you know, people that live in really sunny countries, sometimes it's too hot to go outside during the day and they have vitamin D deficiencies. So this is a really great technology for people all around the world.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is pricey. We didn't really go into numbers, but, you know, considering if if you've got a normal light switch and, and, you know, why it's connected, these have to have wires all connected to the central system. So you've got an awful lot of wiring going all the way throughout the, the building. Everything has to be plugged in together.
0: Sounds quite electricity consuming. Yeah,
2: exactly. So again, you'd have to, um, you'd have to take all those things into account. But so is
0: this another technology that will be available in five to ten years? Or?
2: <laughs> Probably. yeah well it's, I mean it's available now in, in, in you know commercial buildings for, for rest homes and that sort of thing. But uh, the person who, who runs the, the rest home, the, the council, they were sort of saying, we looked at the, we thought that the benefits outweighed the costs. And he said, seeing, you know, the, the effect on staff, you know, less, less days off, mm-hmm. seeing the, the benefits for the patients, you know, they're happier, they're, you know, all those sorts of things. So I guess you're sort of saying, is it technology or is it wellbeing? Um, you know, is it cost, is it well-being? You, which would you prefer and so yeah they went with the well-being yeah.
0: can't put a price on well-being these days sure can't that's it for this week if you want to watch the films from this week's episode go to cgtm.com europe and click on razor thanks so much for listening bye-bye